The Teamwork Arts Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we try and go behind the thoughts uh, of those who, uh, of the actions that animate, that create the arts. And uh, today, of course, we've got someone uh, who has created art, who's told us fascinating stories. And not only that, gone one step ahead and curated a space where we can listen to stories, uh, absorb ideas, and, uh, and just feel good about the fact that art exists and flourishes. The absolutely incredible uh, Namita Gokhale. Namita, ma'am, uh, what an honor to have you. On the uh, on the Team Bagats podcast, <laughs> you're being too kind, but it's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> I have been I have been a fan of the, of your written word for a very long time. In fact, uh, uh, the Michael uh, Madhusudan that uh, the tome that you have you have written is a fascinating story of someone who truly believes in the art, but also was truly unhappy about it. And uh, you know the. the the, the epiphany that uh, that even art can uh, can make you remain unhappy about it was was fascinating. How was that? I mean, that was. I wanted to open with that because it's just a fascinating perspective on art, isn't it? Well, it began uh, in two thousand and three, really. Right. When I was asked to review uh, two books on Michael Madhusudan Dutt. One was called Betrayed by Hope, and one was called Well, I forget what. By um, Gulam Murshid from Bangladesh. Uh, they were a, a biography and a collection of his letters. And I was fascinated by the letters. And I saw at that time that they seamlessly had the potential to be a five-act play. So I took a pink felt pen, I still remember, and I took a lot of um, post-its and I started marking it. Then we were doing some readings and I gave it to my friend Arundas, who you might know. Of course. And yeah, and of course he lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gave it back to me and then I lost it. Then I gave it to Dr. Malashri Lal and she lost it. Mm -hmm. So that is the way it was with Michael Madhusudan that he was not a lucky man. Yeah. And so he didn't get his due. But I am a very, very, very persistent woman. And so we stuck at it and through the lockdown Malashi and I finished it. So 2014 to 2020 is how long this voyage took to understand this man who brought blank verse into Bangla, this man who was uh, one of the most uh, important catalysts of Indian literature, but who was uh, forgotten except for a niche uh, Bangla audience who was devoted to him, hero worshipped him, but the rest yeah. of India knew very little about him. Absolutely. And I think that was cause for a lot of uh, heartbreak for him as well. Uh, Absolutely, because he was convinced he was a genius <laughs> and right. from the very start. And right. it was a strange journey because I remember what got me hooked in the beginning was this young man writing a poem and he talks about he wants a watery Atlantic grave rather than be here. And he doesn't realize that the Atlantic is between Europe and America, not between <laughs> here. I mean, yes, and or maybe just the Indian Ocean was too boring for him. <laughs> but he was a great man. And we share a birthday. Oh, okay. And I used to like to drink a lot of cognac. And he used to like to drink a lot of cognac. So I said, yeah, I have to do a tribute. And I... You are this because we are talking about creative practice. The way it goes with me is sometimes I make what is called in Hindi a sankalp. Right. And once I decide, I at some stage I am lucky enough to find the opportunity to do it. So I did a sankalp that I will pay my personal tribute to this man. 
and uh, it happened and I was terrified because uh, I am a Kumauni North Indian married to a Maharashtrian. <laughs> Bengalis don't like other people intruding and quite rightly so because I can't speak Bangla. So sure. it was not in my place to write it. But then me and Dr. Manushilal, who is a Rajasthani Bengali, but she's a Bengali now, nevertheless, and we worked, we have collaborated on many books. And that's the thing, no? I mean, your respect for uh, for the indigenous voice, so to speak, for uh, uh, for a language that you might not necessarily speak or understand, and yet um, yet get the beauty of, which is uh, which is also a role that you play to perfection at the Jaipur Literature Festival. And there are many voices that are not speaking in the so-called mainstream languages that uh, you have taken it upon yourself to. Uh, to get people to know more of it, be it be great to know the process of of choice there. I don't know what is the process of choice. I keep watching out, listening in, but not even consciously. Things come to me. Sure. So um, yesterday, for example, I had a session. Uh, it was called Jaipur Nama: The Return to the Mother Tongue, and it was about two of my translators into Hindi in conversation with me. It was a riot. Because my cousin Pushpesh Pant was on stage with me. Wow. He is very funny yeah. and very bright. And he had translated things to leave behind, which gets the Sahitya Academy Award today, into Hindi as Raag Pahari. And there is Prabhat Ranjan, who had, who's just translated my new novel, uh, which is called uh, The Blind Matriarch. And he's translated it as Andhari. Oh, what a beautiful wow, what name, Andhari. Beautiful. So, we were talking about the process with Rakshanda Jalil of how you take a language and return it back to the language where it is emotionally and geographically located. And the audience was enthused. I asked them in the very beginning that those of you who are bilingual, please put your hand up. And I think almost every hand in the audience was. We are a bilingual, trilingual people. <coughs> famously said that we have a language for prayer, we have a language to speak to our mothers and to dream in, we have a language for wow. uh, talking outside and this yeah. is the true strength of India. So. Absolutely. Uh, but there's also increasingly uh, being seen, I, and I, I don't know if you'll agree or not, but um, language is becoming uh, subservient to an agenda. Even uh, even the geographical location of languages are being, for lack of a better way of explaining it, weaponized. It's always been. The it's case. always. We had a session yesterday. Right. Sorry to go back, but please. The festival is where we are. Yes. And Rashmi Dorai Swami, who teaches Russian in JNU, used to now in Jamia. And I'd been with her once to address a meeting of writers from the former Soviet Union. And in that meeting, I, I was struck by the fact that the end of all this thing where everybody asserted their nationality and their local language, a woman from Kyrgyzstan, after the session was over, over a cup of tea, she said, nobody said the most important thing, that all of us have issues with Russia, perhaps, but we love the Russian language because it is a great literary language and so what she and Ukrainian and Russian is so close to each other in literary terms sure. and yet it has been weaponized yeah. uh, into this situation and there's another set of two writers here uh, uh. both write in Nepali oh. Nepali is spoken more in, in it is one of our Indian languages there are more Nepali speakers in India than they are in Nepal really? Oh, yes. wow. Okay. And uh, one of them has written a book called Son of the Soil, 
songs of the soil, songs of which I blurbed. They sent it to me to blurb. I see. And so I blurbed it and I knew this is a winner. So he's here. And it became a winner after I first read that draft. Sure. That book, I mean, I'm giving you the history, not sure. of my process, but the larger process in which I am privileged to participate. Of course. This book was translated by um, somebody called Ajit Baral, who heads a fine print publishing in Nepal. I see. And yeah. he's done a beautiful translation. He translated it into English and I blurbed it. Uh, Vani has published it in Hindi and it's out in Bangla. Wow. And it has got a UK publisher already. It's been out for two months. Wow. And there's a very uh, well-known UK publisher, I think it's Ballester, who has published it in UK. So it's just found its way in the world. And he was delighted because the fact that I could write about it here and there, it just made it, give it that visibility. Absolutely. But it's a great book. It has, Absolutely. it's found its own way. For sure. And the other one, if I'm not going off course too much, not Ajit Baral, who's the publisher, has published somebody called um, Buddhi Sagar, who's written a book called Karnali Blues. And Penguin India has published oh, it. Yes. And Michael Hutt of Soas has translated it. So it's had its own journey. And Karnali Blues, uh, Buddhi Sagar came here in 2009 and 2011 to the Jaipur Literature Festival. And he said that he had a novel inside him until then. It was there struggling. But it's being here with all the writers. <laughs> Yeah. That unleashed this book, sure. which is sure. one of the best-selling books. So Absolutely. I'm saying every language has its own uh, particular essence. And I, I believe in technology. And I think there won't be a time very far away from now when every language will be much more accessible to all of us sure. seamlessly. Of course. Perhaps the literary part may be more difficult to do, but that may also happen in, in good time. Um, because of artificial intelligence, because sure. of so many things, sure. which will facilitate us. Of but course, then of literary course. translators. So <laughs> languages are the core of it and as many languages as possible. For sure. uh, uh, just to clarify, blurbing basically means uh, writing a recommendation yes. or just writing Coach about what about the P, uh, what that person feels about that book. That's what blurbing means. Uh, and that's the thing, ma'am. As you were saying, language will abide, language will endure. But do you think, uh, so there are two parts to what I'm saying, and I'll be happy to repeat it if it gets a little confusing. But one, uh, maybe uh, the, the, at one point of time, language, as you said, was always weaponized. But there was also an open space for debate where you could debate the weaponization, probably try and influence someone's thinking. Um, has that space shrunk, one? Uh, that's one question. Uh, maybe let's take it from there. Uh, do you think that uh, 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 someone put it beautifully, which is uh, when he said that, uh, you know, nowadays nobody seems to be listening, everyone seems to be waiting. Uh, do you agree? I think that space has shrunk and also expanded. Um, we are in um, the throes of new technology which will be obsolete, obsolete very soon, I'm sure, and a new technology and a new technology will evolve because there's a, a cycle here. and Not a cycle, but a spiral rather. And um, when this happens, this is a technology, all these technologies, they can bully us and they can free us. And it's really the human and social condition in which we live whether these use, are used to liberate or to subjugate. And subjugate doesn't mean punishing people. 
and subjugate means keep them doped with religion and sex and TV kind of thing. Sure. That um, easy entertainment, which stops you from asking the difficult questions. Sure. Because difficult questions can also be very boring. For sure. To listen to all the time. Yes. They are intense yeah. and they have a very important place in society. But it's so much easier to, to be comfortable and not to raise any questions. And I respect that if it works for people. Sure. So it's it's we don't know where it will pan out. Hmm. Uh, maybe it will be a very harmonious stage someday in the future. But I think it's going to be a pretty rotten scene <laughs> for the for my lifetime. Which is which was going to be the second part of what I was going to ask. Which is that uh, you know uh, with your duties as festival director for the Jaipur Literature Festival and your duties as a writer, the the responsibility of the art. Do you think that? language as an art uh, is increasing it's getting in increasingly difficult to um, uh, uh, to sort of separate the art from the agenda because linguistic chauvinism the way language is being and, and also probably uh, uh, because that line between information and knowledge is also blurring i think it was always there and if some of the brahmanization or the elitism of knowledge is able to seep down i'm all for it and that Weaponization of language, as you said, I always feel puzzled by some words that are used in English by very patriotic Indians. Mm. Uh, one is lingua franca. Mm. Now, lingua franca is the language of France, so it's not the intrinsic language of anybody. Or, for example, uh, um, obviously, <coughs> they are, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> a lot of people from the left right wing parties yeah. say, beef it up. <laughs> I mean, not because they don't realize yeah. what they are saying. Or, or, or people say he's done yeoman service. Yeah. We know what is. We yeah. don't know what it means. So that also is a corruption of language. Sure. When the language that has been imposed on you by colonialism yeah. is language that is not. You don't even know what words you're using. One day I got into a huge argument with a very dear friend of mine who was a writer. And we were in one of those festivals where it was a half an hour, 45 minute journey somewhere. So he was saying, oh, it's raised my hackles. I got in his case, I won't let you out of the car till you tell me what a hackle and means. <laughs> now, that was the days before Google. So he doesn't talk to me now. But I looked it up and so, the hackles are this part of our body. Yeah, yeah. So when a human or a dog gets upset, I mean, you raise your hackles. Yeah. So if any corruption of language is a corruption of thought. And... That's why your mother tongue is the most important language as your base language and then you can learn as many as you like. And that's the thing, no ma'am, uh, about the information and the knowledge bit. Information is raising the hackles which you've passively received from maybe your trolls through the internet. Knowledge is the active pursuit of trying to know. Absolutely. And that line has blurred because a lot of people have now begun to confuse information with knowledge. And do you think that's hurting, uh, that's hurting the creation of, of literature? No, there's such wonderful literature being written and right. they are also drawn to it. I think if I may <laughs> not be sounding snobbish, right. but sometimes people are first generation intellectuals in the sense that they don't have access to the apparatus to think yeah. and there's not, nothing that gives that uh, ability yeah. more than reading. Everybody Absolutely. has access to reading. And I think in the sense... More so today than ever before. 
and I think the internet and the social media have sort of democratized that art yes. by making everything so accessible. So right? I think that's what I love and respect about it. But do you think that that accessibility is also coming at the cost of respect because it's so accessible? No, I don't. No? Think, I don't no. think anything deserves respect. If you ask me, it has to win that respect. Okay. But by being read or being this thing. I, I, I don't like automatic respect unless it's for old people now that I'm old. <laughs> but but you certainly respect the process of writing a book. I remember having uh, spoken to you during the lockdown and uh, you know we all need that little sliver of hope and <laughs> for me the sliver of hope was that you said my creative output has increased manifold. No, it has. Three books in a year. <laughs> but uh, for me, I was thinking about it during the Lit Fest, writing my director's note, and it struck me, laughter is a form of courage. Wow. Joy is a form of courage. Yes. Creativity is a form of belief and courage. Yes. And that's the courage we need. And for that, we need to encourage other people to do it. We don't have... So what if whether... Uh, standards are not always as high because these things are subjective. What's high for you may not be high for somebody else. For sure. This, But everybody should be allowed their laughter, their courage, their joy. Wow. And it's up to anybody to see which is the one they are searching is what I feel. Absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, laughter being courage and joy being courage is uh, probably just a joyous way to end this podcast. It has been absolutely fascinating having had this conversation as usual. Uh, Great fun. That's because you asked <laughs> such intriguing, such... Uh, challenging questions that uh, it's, it's uh, I'm always happy if I manage to come up with a reply. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. A compliment to end the TW, the Tivagas podcast. I couldn't have asked for more. The absolutely brilliant Namita Gokhale. Thank you yeah. very much, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, and that's the Team of Guards podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If that made you think, that's great because uh, thinking is increasingly becoming a luxury. Don't make it a luxury. Maybe it's a necessity that we all need to uh, respect a little more. <laughs> so, so that's important. And uh, yeah, uh, remember to follow us on social media, subscribe, comment, whatever it is that you want to do. It'll make us feel a little more wanted, which is always nice. And uh, yeah, what's coming up next? Well, for that, you'll just have to follow us on social media. Team of Guards podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.